Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome once again to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to continue with the uh, discussion on the internal workings of the uh, Stalinist era uh, Soviet Communist Party. Um, previously we, we talked about membership, we talked about the fact that uh, one had to really be able to digest and understand very complex and esoteric um, ideas uh, are such as the um, Marxist-Leninist uh, dialectic of history, um, dialectical materialism, um, and the various precepts of uh, Marxist thinking and, and economics in order to be considered the right kind of homo sovieticus um, that would be um, eligible to, to join the party. Now we're going to look at uh, internal party uh, debate and the lack thereof. Um, the membership changed in the 1930s. There was a, an attempt um, to create a, a fully proletarian party, one which up to that point hadn't exactly existed. It had been um, a revolution. The Bolshevik party originally had been a, uh, a party of the revolutionary intelligentsia, um, it, there had been um, working class members, Stalin being one of them. But Stalin was this kind of curious hybrid between um, a working class Georgian and um, part of the, the revolutionary intelligentsia himself. His early years, after he'd been kicked out of seminary, um, were not spent working in factories. They were spent as a revolutionary agitator and somebody in charge of printing revolutionary newspapers. So he has lots of working class credentials, but not so far as he was a, a, a proper uh, working proletarian for much of his life. The changes um, in membership um, took, take place mainly in the 1930s. Um, and at the start of the Stalin era, um, the plan, the ideal was that there should be a proletarian party. This meant that um, proletarians, factory workers, um, and other heavy industry workers were encouraged to join in large numbers. And the uh, white collars, uh, the white collar professions of Russia, such as they were, uh, professionals, engineers, um, people with uh, skills, those um, would have been uh, office workers, that kind of thing, 
were discouraged from joining the party. Um, the large enrolment of workers and peasants um, during the first uh, five-year plan uh, meant that the party grows immensely. But this isn't always a good thing, because you bring in an awful lot of people to the party who are simply careerists, who don't really understand the ideology, who don't get what Soviet communism um, actually is, and they see the party as a good opportunity for advancement. Now, uh, Marxist-Leninists um, at the time within the party argued that it's these sort of opportunist types who really haven't got a revolutionary bone in their body. They're going to kill the party. They're actually going to kill um, socialism in Russia. And eventually you'll wind up with a kind of rather toxic managerial bureaucracy uh, and a return to uh, bourgeois values. So in 1933, uh, admissions are suspended. And then there are uh, party purges to um, clean out uh, the party and to get rid of those who are not sufficiently committed to Soviet communism or Marxist-Leninism. Um, again, the same thing happens during the Great Purges, which are obviously a, a far more brutal and violent way of removing uh, dead wood from the party. And in both these instances, there are dramatic promotions for young party members who find themselves in jobs which are far beyond their level of experience. Um, and they are quite literally sitting in dead men's shoes. Enemies of the people have been removed from these roles uh, significantly earlier. The um, admissions to the party that happen after the purges don't have the same kind of proletarian emphasis. Now we're drifting towards um, the threat of war. Uh, Stalin, at this point, is obsessed with the threat of Hitler. He is well aware of the damage he's done to the country's infrastructure, to its bureaucracy, and uh, most significantly to its military um, preparedness. And the quest to get... Um, meritocratic values to get the skilled uh, workers into, and administrators into key jobs uh, is the, the highest imperative. And so the white-collar professionals and managerial professionals who had been barred from entry previously to the party uh, wind up being able to access it in the later part of the 1930s. The Stalin era saw the end of what um, in the party inter internal party debate there actually was. Um, the 1930s sees the end of um, any factionalism and any uh, internal debate uh, within the Communist Party. The leaders of the left opposition who had uh, attracted the ire of Lenin before he died uh, were expelled from the party by 1927. Um, the right opposition of 1928-29 to 29 um, was sufficiently aware of the fate of the left um, that it didn't uh, really waste any of its energies organising itself uh, at all. Instead, um, it seeks to uh, minimise damage and uh, avoid the threat of factionalism and then the uh, uh, punishment of expulsion from uh, the party. There were a number of smaller um, and almost kind of uh, inconsequential uh, underground uh, opposition uh, uh, groups 
um, that did little more than talk. And they were easily infiltrated by uh, the secret police, the OGPU, um, arrested and sent to uh, an unpleasant fate in the camps, uh, or some indeed uh, simply executed. The ability to carry out uh, debate within the party was limited. Um, the party had been a kind of a little constellation of uh, groupings and, and intellectual um, uh, huddles during the mid-1920s. There had been uh, academic uh, centres of thinking within the party, the Institute of Red Professors being a, a particularly uh, renowned one. And this is where Marxism um, was debated. I mean, the thing about uh, Marxism or Marxist-Leninism is that in both instances, uh, these are theoretical models of explaining uh, history, society and economics and the application of Marxist-Leninism um, is uh, a, a process that generates endless debates. Are we doing it right? Uh, is, are things happening as Marx suggested they would do? These kinds of, of discussions. And so you can imagine that the party was uh, rich with um, discussion, debate and, in, and internal conversation until, of course, the advent of Stalinism, where the ultimate arbiter of Marxist-Leninism and the ultimate uh, kind of interpreter of Lenin tradition was Stalin himself. And Stalin shuts down any serious discussion of uh, Marxist-Leninism um, for the rest of his uh, lifetime until 1953. And even after that, it can't be said to have uh, seriously uh, reinstated itself. Um, there were uh, figures such as Bukharin, um, who uh, uh, attracted the kind of the uh, ire of Stalin by having his own, um, not necessarily personality cult, but certainly personal following, as did, of course, Leon Trotsky. But in both instances, neither of neither Bukharin nor Trotsky was able to attract really the uh, significant following of support that Stalin could. And one of the reasons is that Stalin, as general secretary of the party, had been had power of appointment and power of patronage across the party, and he had uh, been able to offer fairly simple and what appeared to be practical solutions to a country that saw itself at siege um, and the idea of socialism in one country was very appealing at that point, far more uh, practical than uh, Trotsky's ideas of continuous revolution. But also Stalin was able to put bread on the table for a lot of people within the party by appointing them to party roles. Of course, he had to kind of get rid of a large number of others, but that was fairly easy to do when you have a large uh, network of camps for people that complain. The era of um, political debate and engagement in political debate by the rest of the party also came to an end. It becomes much too dangerous during the Stalin era to spend one's time uh, thinking uh, about what different factions of the party are discussing. There is, after 1928, only one faction of the party that matters, that is Stalin and his inner circle, and uh, discussing and debating what Stalin has to say, once again, 
is unwise as one might appear to be critical. So the um, anti-democratic uh, force that Stalin comes to be during this period of time um, operates in various different ways. Uh, forcing uh, opposition from the party, forcing debate out of the party, and ending, really, engagement between the party hierarchy and the grassroots. The grassroots know better than to get involved in politics at all. The language of the party in the 1930s is very reminiscent of the Civil War era. It's very um, machismoistic, if that's actually a word, um, a very um, aggressive um, the language of the party is about struggle, um, fighting, um, the struggle to build socialism, um, the war against um, class enemies. These kinds of things are constantly being said. Um, Stalin's own uniform is a kind of like a sorry, paramilitary look uh, of a tunic and boots and um, trousers tucked into them and it's um, not the sort of definitive bourgeois look of a, of a Western politician. It's um, semi-militaristic. Semi, semi um, party members often were armed. It was not uncommon for um, party members of any congresses to come with uh, the gun that perhaps they'd wielded during the Civil War. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, normally a, a, a pistol of some description. The problem that Stalin saw um, was that the Soviet Union... Uh, needed uh, to have a figure like him. It needed a dictatorship. It needed uh, not just a dictatorship, but a particularly ideologically charged and uh, ideologically purposed dictatorship in order to keep the revolutionary state uh, within it safe from the predations of the outside world. The Bolsheviks were obsessed with the uh, French Revolution and um, the Thermidorian counter-revolution. They were obsessed with the Paris Commune and they were certain 
that if they were not very careful, the same thing would happen in Russia, that the revolution would be overturned either by outside or by internal interference. Stalin's role as dictator, but also public intellectual, um, whereby he uh, frequently made uh, had interviews with the Soviet press and often with uh, Western journalists, fellow traveller journalists, um, who made it to the Soviet Union to interview him, uh, quite famously when it's H.G. Wells. Um, and uh, Walter Duranty, um, who was uh, fairly kind of corrupted by uh, Stalinism and loathed by the rest of the press corps. These kinds of um, moments were used by Stalin to uh, present himself as a kind of an explainer of world affairs. Um, some, the, when you read these interviews, he comes across as this sort of almost detached observer, but he's certainly anything but. Um, he was a, a figure who tried to install in the Soviet population uh, a fear and mistrust of capitalist powers. Probably this was well-placed, uh, given the Russian Civil War and the views that most capitalist nations had towards the Soviet Union. But also he tried to instill a certain kind of, um, not xenophobia, because it's certainly not racial, but a, a certain hostility uh, towards uh, Western powers who were seen as exploiters and bullies and those who would do the Soviet Union down if they got a chance. And the thinking, the popular thinking about external enemies was that they wouldn't be given that chance, that the society that Stalin had created would be eternally vigilant. Um, this is a kind of a contributory factor to the terror. It creates the kind of the culture of terror. Um, but anything could be explained that um, was not working or going wrong within the building of um, communism bit by bit, the process of socialist construction. Anything that went wrong could be explained on saboteurs, on uh, enemies external to the Soviet Union looking to destroy uh, the country. Um, the Stalin, however, did like to think of himself as a statesman. He did like to um, think about um, great power relations in quite a traditional way um, of seeing the interaction between states as being much more important than the promulgation of revolution. By the mid-1930s, he's really put this one onto a back burner. The only thing, for example, that Comintern is useful for is after 1933 and the advent of Hitler, Comintern is useful for trying to build um, progressive alliances between uh, socialists and, and communists. This is something that probably should have been done before 1933, but Stalin actually actively undermined that, as we know, and popular fronts. And obviously Comintern has a strong role to play in Spain. And I've done uh, innumerable podcasts uh, on that one. But actually um, creating uh, a uh, overseas revolutions in other first world countries um, was not really on on the um, on Stalin's wish list, which is ironic considering that the the children of 1917, the generation that grew up after that, uh, saw this um, as a a dream 
that was central to their, their thinking of worldwide revolution. In Everyday Stalinism by Sheila Fitzpatrick, she um, cites um, Lev Kupolev um, and his uh, memoir, in which he says, The world revolution was absolutely necessary so that justice would triumph. All those incarcerated in bourgeois prisons would be set free. Those starving in India and China would be fed. The lands taken from the Germans and the Danzig Corridor would be returned. And our Bessarabia would be taken back from Romania. But also so that um, afterwards there would be no borders, no capitalists and no fascists at all. And so that Moscow, Kharkov, Kiev and, and Kiev would become just as enormous, um, just as well built as Berlin, Hamburg and New York. So that we would have skyscrapers, streets full of automi- uh, automobiles and bicycles. So that all the workers and peasants would go walking in fine clothes, wearing hats and watches so that airplanes and dirigibles would go flying everywhere. And such, and this was essentially a view of um, modernity, a socialist modernity. And in the eyes of many of the revolutionaries of 1917, modernity could only really be achieved by the sweeping away of capitalism. To them, capitalism uh, was about slums, it was about prisons, it was about colonialism and colonial famines. It was every injustice meted out onto the face of the earth. And it had to be got rid of in order for humanity to reach this next step, this borderless utopia where peasants lived like um, bourgeois um, and the bourgeoisie. And there would be um, skyscraper cities across Russia connected by airships. The, The theme of the air and of aviation is a very strong one in um, so the Soviet imagination, um, the aviator represents not only something that appears to be quite classless, but also the cutting edge of modernity. The aviator is uh, so a person who can explore, who can explore nature. Stalin was uh, really um, seeing, and the culture of Stalinism sees nature as a kind of a dangerous obstacle and a thing that needs to be conquered. And obviously Stalinism's hideous environmental crimes are a, a, a dark testament to that. So the, the Stalinists were not always on the same page as Stalin himself. Not that they particularly would have announced this or it would have been uh, recognised. But the aspirations of grassroots Stalinists and of members of the Komsomol and junior members of the party was to work towards education and enlightenment and education, just as um, with aviation, education uh, occupies an important part of the, the Soviet mindset. Um, it's extremely important to acquire it, which is wasn't just uh, about uh, developing a career, but also it was part of uh, an obligation owed to the party and to um, the to the state. Uh, education and self betterment um, were important kind of concepts. Uh, about the development of of kind of Homo Sovieticus, the the new Soviet man, um, and the, the the creation of this uh, proletarian intellectual um, was one of the um, the kind of the the dreams of the revolution that somehow the by removing the uh, the chains of capitalist relations within society 
from the individual that you would free the individual to reach their full potential. They would no longer have to work to pay rent or pay off debts or um, to uh, pay um, for um, their surplus labour value to be extracted in terms of profits. Instead, all their energies would be theirs to maintain and they would be able to then uh, pour their energies into self-betterment. Um, the good communist is the one who is constantly learning, constantly educating themselves. Um, and in the 1920s and 30s, a network of party schools develops, um, where the next pool of um, party bureaucrats will be educated and selected from. Um, the party member particularly had an obligation to self-betterment and to raise the level of their own culture as it was seen. Um, this appears to have been a, a Bolshevik and later Stalinist preoccupation, the idea of turning what the, the, the Bolsheviks as revolutionary intellectuals saw as a, a country of essentially backward peasants, um, Asiatic barbarians. Lenin had all sorts of appalling things to say about the peasants. Um, and turn them into modern, educated, enlightened, cultured individuals. The um, actual um, symbolic destruction of the peasant um, as they left the land um, and came to towns and cities to become proletarians, the highest form of uh, social grouping in the eyes of the uh, Bolsheviks and the Stalinists, happened in terms of things like um, the policy of culture, culture uh, culturedness uh, or kulturnost as it is um, seen in the Soviet Union this this policy um, of forcing the peasants to things, do things like shave, shave off the traditional peasant beard and wear uh, modern proletarian clothes get rid of the peasant smock and boots and um, to do things like abstain from smoking from swearing, from spitting all these things that were synonymous with the backwardness of peasant life because it wasn't simply just fussiness. It was a case of um, if peasant life was allowed to continue in the Soviet Union in the way that it had done, then peasant class relations would um, perpetuate themselves and you would have really the kind of the infrastructure of feudalism and imperialism still there when you're trying to build a modern Soviet state. So you have to really if you kill off the class enemies um, and large numbers of kulaks are obviously killed off the uh, poor peasants, the proletarian peasants are the ones who can be saved, rescued uh, given a bit of spit and polish and turned into nice, uh, attractive Soviet men and women now we're going to return to this topic uh, pretty soon and look at internal party discipline and uh, the highs and lows of being able to access specialist party stores and restaurants and health clinics uh, and all these lovely perks. Uh, but in the meantime, um, we're going to finish here. And if you can uh, go and give us some praise or some description on iTunes, uh, that would be great, much appreciated. You can also check out the Explaining History Facebook page. That's where I post other stuff and the odd video. Um, or you can check us out on YouTube. Um, whatever you do, uh, remember to engage with um, explaining history, say some nice things about it, pass on the word, and we'll keep growing. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.